Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. Let me try it again. Good morning, everyone. Okay, that's much better. Feel much better. Uh, Today, uh, we're going to, we're in our sixth week of our series Answers, and today I'm going to talk about uh, our science and God compatible. That's kind of a really hot topic in in certain circles, and I, I pay attention to this stuff all the time because it really fascinates me. Um, so I want, I'm going to deal with this part today in our answer series, um, but I got to let you know that next, I got to warn you, next Sunday we're going to deal with God and sex. So it's up to you if you're bringing kids in here it's okay I'm mourning you right now okay you better put it's best to put them in kids church we've got a really good kids church back there kids men because when we put up the diagrams and stuff no I'm just joking <laughs> bad gym bad gym some of you are going wow diagrams wow I'm going to bring my neighbors no I'm joking okay so but it's God and sex okay so just be aware of that and then in two weeks, we're going to deal, the last one will be, uh, you know, what about all these weird laws in the Old Testament? Do they pertain today or not, this and that? So we're going to finish off that way, okay? So today is God and science. And uh, I want to put a statement up on the screen. I don't believe this, but this is basically the ideas that are rolling around right now. Science is about thinking, evidence and rational thought. While Christianity and faith are about evading evidence, and holding on to non-rationality. Therefore, they are opposed. Do you see what they just said about Christianity and faith? They said, we have no evidence for what we believe. They said, we're just a, kind of a blind faith, leap in the dark kind of thing. And we've been showing you through this series that we are not. Amen? But in there, they're saying that science is all about evidence. But is it really? So they're saying that things are opposed. God and science are opposed. But is that true? So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a question. This is maybe the more difficult question of the series. I've asked you one every week. It's not even the easiest way to even put this forth to you. Two at the max, raise your hand, give me what you think, or how would you, not what you think, how you would answer the question. Um, but let me explain, let me say the question, let me explain it. Today, the new atheist, the thinking goes like this that now that science has explained away things, God is basically not needed anymore. God is obsolete. Let me give you a for instance within that statement. When they used to say, I don't know, 100 years ago, whatever, lightning thunder, they would say, oh, that was God. But now they're saying, see, that's what you Christians would say, that that was God. But now because science understands how lightning and thunder work. You don't need God anymore. That's called God of the gaps, by the way. And we don't believe in God of the gaps. We believe in God of the whole smash. Amen? Now, how would you answer that then when people say, well, now that science explained things, we don't need God anymore? How would you answer a person like that very quickly? Raise your hand. Anybody? Anybody have an answer to that one right there? We had two people answer first. Oh, right there. How would you answer? Trish, okay. How would you answer that? They can't explain everything, and a lot of their stuff is based on theory. 
which is absolutely true. A lot of it's based on theory. Yes, anybody else? Yeah, right there. Matt? Yeah, and if you ask a person to define science, they won't even know what it is. They don't know how to define that. And there's also historical and operational science. You can go further in that field right there. So you pin it back on them and make them answer the question. That's, that's what I like to do to people. Put it back on them because they just know cliches. And they're just spitting cliches at you, and they don't really know the answers or what these things even mean. So today I want to talk about uh, these things. Um, now, I want to kind of... Um, play the devil's attic at a time, showing you what some of these atheist scientists say. And I'm going to begin with this one right here. This is a Nobel Prize winner, Steven Weinberg. Put it up on the screen, please. He said this, the world needs to wake up from the long nightmare of religion. Isn't that fun? Anything we scientists can do to weaken the hold of religion should be done and may in fact be our greatest contribution to civilization. I have a question on that. Leave it up there. Is that statement a statement of science or of control? control? It's control. That is not a scientific statement whatsoever. But here's a scientist using a statement of control, but not a statement of science whatsoever. Because he says anything we can do, anything we can do to weaken the hold of religion will be our greatest contribution to society. So today we want to look at, um, um, are, are God and science compatible? And I, I got to be honest with you. My mind is all over the place in this message because it's a subject I really enjoy. It's a subject I've been studying on for years of my life. Uh, I like talking about these things. I don't get a chance to talk about it much, but my notes, um, anybody knows me, knows that I start scribbling and stuff like that. You guys in the front row, can you see how crazy I am? Can you see all the blue writing right there? I, I go crazy at times and I start adding things and I got to warn the AV group there's going to be more in there than you think that's on the notes and stuff like that so, so that's what's going to happen and I, I'm trying I'm going to try to put it all together and hopefully make sense look I'll be honest some of you, you don't even, you're not interested in a topic like this so just to be nice to me could you be interested today? any amens? okay just act like you love me alright? Act like you're not thinking about the Bengals or the Rams or whatever, all right? Anybody, the Raider, Raiders right there? All you do is say R, R, Sorry, Lynch, I had to just get you on that one. Hey, you bit, man. I just reel you in. Okay. Now, our key verse for, <laughs> our key, <laughs> our key verse for this series, put it up there, please. And I'm going to ask you all to read it together. I'm going to count to three. Here we go. One, two, three. Go. Why do I have to keep coaching you to keep going? Okay, so in that verse, as we say every week, that people are going to ask us questions. And you want to set yourself up that people know you're a Christian, right? Take your Bible to work. Let them see something so they know you're a believer. And then they'll ask you questions. You say, I don't want to be asked any questions. Okay, I'm over my headache now. All right. They're going to ask you questions. And you want to be able to give a defense. The word defense simply means answer. Apologetics, apologia. 
You want to answer the questions. Now, as you answer the questions, he says, sanctify the Lord in your heart. And that's very important. Every week I've told you, you've got to settle the fact that Jesus is the God-man, right? You've got to settle the fact that this is what you believe and here's why you believe it, right? Because if you don't settle the fact and you get into these discussions, then what's going to happen is, possibly, if you're double-minded, they're going to talk you out of it and talk you into something that's not even true, amen? So settle it. Settle it. Don't be wishy-washy. Don't be an in and out of church Christian. Settle it. Get in the Word of God. Say in the Word of God. Get into worship. Start serving and just settle it. Amen? Amen. Okay, good. I got that off my chest. I feel better now. Now, I'm going to give you just two things today, and the second one's going to have a lot more in it. But the first thing I want to say, number one in your notes, is this Science and God are compatible. And everybody said? Oh, good. Two thirds of you believe that. Now, what do I mean? Well, as uh, I want you to turn to Genesis 1 if you have your Bible, and then hold your finger there, and then go over to John chapter 1. So I'm going to read the two sections that are very compatible. Tuesday night Bible study people, you know, we've, I've shared this in the last two weeks. They're highly compatible verses. They correlate to each other. But as you get there, this whole idea of God and science are compatible. Did you know that from 1901 to the year 2000, 60% of the Nobel Prize winners in science were Christians. Did you know that? If they say that God and science are not compatible, then why 60% of these guys are Christians? Well, it is compatible, just from that perspective. But let's take a look at these two verse sections, and then I want to talk about it for a bit and rehearse something that I've already rehearsed with you before, okay? In Genesis chapter 1, it says... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? So now we see that God creates it all. Now, let's go to John chapter 1, and let's read John 1, 1, 2, and 3. Um, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, question, who is the Word? God, but who specifically? It's Jesus. We find that in verse 14 of John 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This Tuesday night, we're going to take that one verse and dissect that thing to the end. It's going to be a lot of fun. Now, verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. Ah. Oh. And apart from him, nothing. And apart from him, louder. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In other words, before God created, and Jesus the creator, before he created everything we see, there was nothing. See, these answer the question of why is there something instead of nothing? So we see that God is the creator. Now, the question is, God being the creator of everything, is that, does that come, is complementary to science or does it oppose science? Well, let's rehearse. We've already talked about this, but I, I need you to rehearse. Uh, two scientists, Arno Penzias and Robert Wilson, 1965, not long ago really. They looked in that telescope at Bell Labs in New Jersey and they, they saw a strange radiation out there and they made maybe what they called the greatest discovery of, of that last century 
they discovered the afterglow of the moment, they call it the Big Bang, the moment where the universe, boom, just began, where everything began. They saw the moment where everything um, was, when there was nothing, and then they saw the moment, they saw the moment where all of a sudden things came into being. Isn't that incredible? And they won the Nobel Prize for that, guys. This is not Christian. This is just science itself. So the universe did have a moment in time where it began. It's not eternal. Hmm. And then Einstein, back up further in 1929, he looks into Hubble's telescope over at Mount Wilson, and he sees in the telescope something he doesn't want to believe or want to be true. But he sees that the universe, evidence that the universe is expanding from a single point. Ah, and he deduces that the universe is indeed created and it is not eternal. Ah, so now you look at these findings and you compare it, science, true science with Genesis 1-1, John 1, 1-3, are science and God compatible? Louder? The answer is yes, guys, okay? I'm not trying to trick you on that one. So, so it's yes. But let's go further to my friend C.S. Lewis. Well, I never met him. He's passed away, but, but he, I figured he's my friend. He, he would be my friend if he was alive. Watch this. He said this. Men became scientific because they expected law in nature. And they expected law in nature because they believed in a legislator or a lawgiver. C.S. Lewis, looking back at the fathers of science, Kepler, Newton, Galileo, he said they went into science. These are the fathers of science. They went into science because they believed in a lawgiver God, and therefore because as a lawgiver they expected laws in nature. Galileo said this, let me read it to you. The laws of nature were written by the hand of God in the language of mathematics. And that's what's interesting. I gave the illustration three, four weeks ago about Apollo 13, remember? When the computer shuts down and they have to do all the math up there, remember that? So they're doing math in their head that fits with math because the universe is mathematical. Isn't that crazy? And that shows a creator created us and the universe that we can do math in our head that's mathematical out there and the math out there can fit with the math in our head. That right there is, is it's just a wild thought. And that thought just blew away Einstein. Now, somebody's going to say, well, wait a minute here. Uh, wasn't the church opposed to Galileo? And the answer, yeah, the Catholic church was. But if you go back and you read the stories and see different things, you find that it was the secular philosophers that took issue with Galileo because Galileo uh, was opposed Aristotle's stance. Here's what Aristotle said. He said that everything is geocentric, that everything revolved around the earth. Galileo came along and said, no, it's heliocentric. Everything revolves around the around the sun, that's right. And so that was the big disagreement there. And Galileo, by the way, had a lot of support by religious people. So no, it's not quite what people tell you there. Now, you can read more about Galileo on your own this week at the library, and I know you will, okay? So but let, me, let me finish off by saying compatibility. I've shared this illustration with you before. And I want you to remember this illustration. It's so simple. It's so simple. Are God and science compatible? Okay, you have Henry Ford, inventor. You have the combustion engine. Now I have the combustion engine. Once I figure out how the combustion engine works, does that eliminate Henry Ford? Let me put it this way. 
Once I figure out how the mechanism works, does that eliminate the creator or the agent? No, it doesn't. They're compatible, are they not? Remember the first question I told you? Now that they figure out how, to, how this, that, that works, they don't need God anymore, right? That's the root of that question. You say, well, once you figure out how the combustion engine works, does that mean that Henry Ford is now obsolete? We don't need him anymore? No. You need the creator, agent, and the mechanism. They, they're, they complement each other. You need them both. But they're trying to tell you that once you figure out how the mechanism works, you don't need the creator anymore. If you just remember that simple illustration, that helps tremendously. Any amens? Can I give you a dumber one? Is that okay to give you a dumber illustration? No, yes or no? Tell me. I won't tell you. You're not responding to me right now. Okay, I feel hurt. Okay, my wife, every night. I've shared this one before. She puts hot water on the stove in a pot, and she boils it. Now, if somebody said, why is that water boiling? Well, some of you scientific people who are 12, remember from 12, 13-year-old, 7th, 8th grade science, you could say, well, the molecules are in there because of the heat and this and that coming through the pot and this and that, and this is why the water's boiling. Is that true? Yes. But then there's another truth, isn't there? The water's boiling because Olivia wants a cup of tea. Am I right? Are both answers valid? That's right. So there's the agent, Olivia, and there's the activity right there. They're very simple things. How do people not see this? I don't know how, but it's very simple. Okay, with that said, let's go to point two, because here's what I want to drill down on stuff. Now, and um, my mind, like I said, it's firing all over this one, so I'll try to put it in order. Please, uh, help me. Okay, help me, God. Two, science and God are compatible until they are not. Science says... Um, the universe began how long ago? Fourteen billion years ago. Science says the earth and the moon began how long ago? 4.5 billion years ago. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> um, turn back to Genesis chapter 1. And I'm going to dig into this because Genesis 1 gives a very different account than that, does it not? Right? So let's look at Genesis 1, 1 through 5. Moses writes these things down in the inspiration of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, that's an important statement because Moses and all the Israelites are coming out of Egypt there and being surrounded by all kinds of people groups that believe in multiple gods, right? Right? So from the get-go, God inspires Moses to say what? No, sorry, all these gods are false. I'm the only God, and I created everything. Because all the false gods they believe in came out of the earth or the sea or this and that. And from the get-go, God is saying, no, you tell them there's only one God. Isn't that a great first statement? I like that. Verse 2, the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was I like that, and people, in case anybody ever tells you this, they say, well, come on, Christian, tell me how there's light when God doesn't even create the sun and the stars till so many days later. Explain that one to me. And how would you explain it, huh? Here's how. You go to Revelation, and you find in the New Jerusalem, when all things are settled, that God says at the very end of Revelation that you don't need the sun or the stars, the moon anymore. They won't be there. Why? Because who is illuminating the entire universe? 
Jesus Christ himself. He's the light of the world. It says it right there. He's the light. So you answer it that way. Verse 4, God saw that the light was good, and the, God separated the light from darkness, because darkness flees as soon as there's light. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was a the morning. What? One day. Okay, let's pause right there. Let's get into this. Now, the, no, now watch closely. The initial act of creation, God creates the heavens and the earth. Then in verse 3, God starts the process of the days of creation, day 1. In Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word created, present tense, it means God did that, and that is separate from the beginning of the days of creation. So you have to separate those two things right there. Now, this means there's time in between God made the heavens and the earth, and then day one of creation. Now, nobody knows how long that is, but I'll give my strong thoughts on that one right there. But there's all kinds of theories and interpretations, right? Those of you read up on that? It's all kinds of theories on how much time that was. So let's, let's just talk about this right here. Now, science says the earth and the moon are how old again? I told you already. 4.5 billion years old. They say the universe is how old again? 14 billion years old. Give or take a few years, okay? All right. Now, the first thing is how can anyone really know that? Who was there with a Polaroid camera where you know the cameras where you get the, develops right away? Anybody? Who was there, right? Nobody was there. You say, that's a dumb question. No, it's a very smart question. You see, when it comes to aging things with the, the dating systems that they have, do you know they have to begin with assumptions? Are assumptions science or are they fact? They're assumptions. They must assume, here's what they assume, that they know the original condition of the rock or rocks that they are testing, and they assume that the rate of decay has been constant over billions of years. How can they possibly know that? Now let me show you where it all falls apart, okay? This is fact. And there are thousands of these, but I'm going to give you four of them. Not on your notes, here it goes. Mount Etna in Sicily erupts in 1972. As the eruption happens, it, you know, obviously it's, uh, it's fluid, this rock, and then it falls, it hits the ground, it starts to cool and it starts to harden and you have a brand new rock. Once it cools once it hardens, then they can test it for age with their dating systems. Well, the rocks coming out of Mount Etna in 1972 were tested 30 years later. Here's how old their testing system said that 30 year old rock was. It said that rock is between 210,000 and 490,000 years old. It was 30 years old. Mount Kilauea, 1959, it erupts, here it comes, it cools down, hardens, and now they can test the rock. Forty years after that date, 1959, they test these new rocks. They found them to be 1.7 and 15.3 million years old. They were 30 years old. Mount St. Helens, we've all heard of that, right? They take the rocks from Mount St. Helens. Once it cools and hardens, after 12 years, they take these rocks, they test it. They tested them. They found them to be 340,000 to 2.8 million years old. Is that close or not? No, it's not, is it? They took a freshly killed seal and they dated them, freshly killed, dated to be 1,300 years old. So now you, and, and guys, there's thousands of these examples. And they take the dating system 
and they date it. They're not even close. It begins on assumptions, and then they announce to us, and they teach our kids and teach everybody else, this thing is 4.6 billion years, universe is 14 billion years, etc., etc. Question, why do they need that? Why do they stick to this when they really don't even know that? Well, let me put it to you this way. I believe the days of creation, the six days are literal days. By the way, somebody's going to say, but Jim, you know, doesn't it say somewhere that a day to God is like a million years, a million years like a day? You ever heard that one before? Do you know that's not even the context of this? That context is God being outside of time. It has nothing to do with this. You, you, you can't use that for this. Now, I believe the days are 24-hour periods, six of them. Now, to my mind, I don't even know why it took 24 hours, right? Or six days. He could have done it in one second, couldn't he? I mean, if he creates everything, boom, here it is, out of nothing, that's kind of powerful, is it not? So why does God give it? Well, then, Jim, why does God give us six, day, six days of creation and one day of it? Because there's some of us in this room like me that are just knuckleheads. How many of you are workaholics? Raise your hand. Okay, we have a group for you afterwards outside. <laughs> well, God is also using this to create a week for us where we work six days, but the seventh day we take a day of rest, Right? So he's given us good stuff along the way. That's why he does this. He could have done it in one second if he wanted to. Now, back to the issue. Atheist scientists, evolutionists, they need millions upon millions of years of process for evolution in their mind to be valid. Why? Because they need time. It's just that simple. It's called uniformitarianism. This scientist, Scottish scientist, 1700, James Hutton, he decided that, no, everything took a lot longer. The earth is a lot older. Uniformitarianism. It's basically this. That's earth, earth's processes occurring today, think of it in evolution, occurring today are what occurred in the past. Very slow. We're not seeing anything evolve today. Are we? Are we? But it's occurring the same way in the past. So they're saying, see, all this time, and they need a lot of time because if you have millions and millions of years, they're saying anything could happen over that time. Okay. When it says earth in Genesis 1.1, it's the word eretz in, the, in Hebrew. It means dirt. So here's my question. Can you get DNA and information from dirt? Does that evolve into that? Can you get DNA and information from dead matter? You can't. You can wait a trillion gazillion years and you will never get that because that's information. That's an impossibility. It cannot happen. But science says, today says, you give it enough time and it's going to evolve slowly over millions and millions of years. So here's the question. Why aren't we seeing more of that today? Why aren't we seeing things evolve today, right? Has anybody seen anything evolve? Okay. So, um, this has invaded everywhere. And it's because we trust scientists even though they have no evidence of these things. So, uh, back in about 1989, I was taking an Old Testament class. And my professor... This is a Christian college. We're outside talking. And we're talking because I'm really always interested in this kind of stuff. 
And he makes a statement to me. He says, something had to have existed before Adam, some kind of life form. Now, I wasn't going to go ballistic on him right there on campus. And he was a professor. He's got all these letters after his name. But I thought, where are you getting this from? Where does it say that? No. I didn't tell him no, but I just, oh. And I walked away going, no, no. No, that's not true. See, what happens is, if we buy into this millions of years evolution, which has not been proven at all, then we have to go that way. Do we not? Do we not? Some of you have been here a long time. You will not remember this, but if you've been here 14, 15 years, I did a series back about that time on creation versus evolution. And during that series, right, there was, there was going to be this program on National Geographic. Oh, I'll never forget this one. And they found the missing link. I thought, right on. Okay, let's see what they found. Because usually they find a chimpanzee or something, right? And they declare, here it is. And so I'm watching this program. And this scientist, and he's a well-known scientist. He's talking, and he's excited. And then they show what they found underneath in this bog. They show what they found. It was about this long, about on four legs. It was like a, a lizard-looking thing. And no, I'm not, this is no exaggeration. It had a, a cleaning hook, you know, cleaning claw. And he said, because of that, here was his quote. This thing was eerily human. What? It's a lizard. It's eerily a lizard. It's on four legs. Got a, because that little cleaning hook, it's eerily human. Are you kidding me? Do you understand? What, see, they have to believe this stuff because of their worldview. Say worldview. Now remember that statement for, for in a few minutes. It'll make more sense. They have a worldview and therefore they have to go with it. I just couldn't believe what I was watching. I mean, on the one hand, I was shocked and then I was just laughing. Now, Let's continue on on this whole idea. They, the scientists, they have this era of time called the Cambrian period, Cambrian explosion. Anyone ever heard of that? The Cambrian explosion or period, they say it was 500 million years ago. Who was there? Dating systems don't work. They're all over the place. But they say it was that long ago. Here's what they call that period of time. The most intense burst of evolution known, where life suddenly appeared. What? Life suddenly appeared, full form? Huh, what does that fit with? Genesis chapter 1. Life suddenly appeared. Do you know that in um, Darwin's Origin of Species, his great volume there that he wrote, his biggest problem, and he admits it, he, have you ever seen that tree where, the evolutionary tree where, have you ever seen that? Well, and he, in it, his biggest problem, and he was honest about it, he says, we, I don't have any of these intermediate stage species developing up. All we have is life suddenly appeared in full form. And that bothered him. He couldn't, he couldn't figure out why that was. Well, why is that? Because it fits with Genesis record, does it not? That God created, boom, there they were. Now, <clears throat> life suddenly appeared. Not millions of years ago, and I'll tell you, 6,000 years ago. Jim, how can you say life appeared 6,000 years ago? It's really easy. Bless you. You're welcome. 
from Adam, you, genealogies, go back in Genesis, Adam up. From Adam to Abraham, around 2,000 years. From Abraham to Jesus, around 2,000 years. From Jesus to you and I right now, around 2,000 years. How, 2,000, 2,000, 2,000. How long is that? Don't say 8,000. Okay, 6,000 <laughs> 6, years. And so you, you see the timelines here, and couldn't God do it that way? Absolutely he could. That's what he says he did. Okay, now, there's a lot of these little illustrations. Let me give you one. I, I was 14 years old, and how many remember watching the lunar lander landing on the moon for the first time? Raise your hand if you remember that. We're getting old, aren't we? <laughs> I was a ninth grader. And uh, as the lunar lander, and if, and if you ever have a chance to go to Orlando, go to the Space Center. It's one of the greatest, greatest tours you'll ever take. I got to see the lunar lander. I got to see the Apollo rocket. It's incredible. I got to see an alligator in the swamp right there. <laughs> it's incredible. But the lunar lander, as it was coming down, does anyone remember at the base of the legs, who was at the base of those legs? They were big saucers at the base of every leg. But there's a reason why. Because scientists said since the earth and the moon are 4.5 billion years old, the moon dust that would have settled over 4.5 billion years would be anywhere from 54 feet deep to 100 feet deep. And so the fear was when it landed, they're going to sink right in and suffocate. They're going to die in there. When they landed and they got off that thing, they found the, the, the moon dust on that planet was one-eighth to three inches of moon dust which would have taken maximum 8,000 years. Thus again, proving there was only so old versus what they thought it was. And there's all kinds of these little tidbits of information that prove everything opposite that science is actually saying about age, evolution, everything else. Now, they've never found a missing link, never found one. They only know that life suddenly appeared. But here's the thing. Richard Dawkins, evolutionary biologist, maybe the foremost atheist in the world. Here's what he says, and I quote, it's absolutely safe to say, if you meet somebody who claims not to believe in evolution, that person is ignorant, stupid, or insane. And then he adds in parentheses, or wicked, but I'd rather not consider that. Well, thank you for not considering that. You just think I'm stupid, ignorant, and insane. Now think of what he just said, because this happens a lot, and this is permeating society now. That if you dissent from what a group of people say, then they mock you, don't they? And they attack you, do they not? That's just not right. And then they label you as misinformation. Now you may or you may not be misinformation, but that's the way they label you as. And you find this a lot now. And I think it's the advent of social media. And I, don't, I think there's like a million people out there versus the 330 million of the rest of us who could care less about that. But a million people out there attacking and going after people because they don't agree with them. And we're finding this, though, in the scientific field. Even though we have plenty of scientists who believe in God 
and they see the hand of God on creation. They see that. Now let me give you my last thought today, or last two thoughts real quick. I said point two was science and God are compatible until they are not, right? Right? It's not a true statement. Not really. Because science and God, the Bible, are completely compatible. Remember the word worldview? Say worldview. When an atheist evolutionary scientist starts with a worldview, they stick with their worldview no matter what the evidence shows. And there's no evidence for what, what they say is true is true. There's none. They have none. It's all theory. It's all speculation. It's all, I believe this. But when you look at the actual evidence, the evidence, you find that the Bible and science are completely compatible. They are never not incompatible. They aren't. And more and more as they discover more things, it proves the Bible even more so. Correct? For instance, we know now that the universe, going back over this, the universe had a starting point, did it not? There was nothing, there was something compatible with the Bible? Yes. Okay, good. We also know that there are no missing links, there are no transitional species, but all of a sudden, boom, life just appeared in full form. Compatible with the Bible? Oh, you better believe it. <clears throat> we know that there are billions of bones buried under rock and dirt, washed there by water, which is called Noah's flood. Compatible with the Bible? Yes, it is. And the list goes on and on and on. All these things are compatible with the Bible, but their worldview says no, no. But when you get the proper, you just look at the science, you know that science, true science says it's compatible with the Bible. So what's the problem? What is it? Well, let me finish with these two verses. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, 19 says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who what? Who what? They suppress the truth and unrighteousness. What they, they suppress it. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. Okay, so they know what the truth is. Science is showing what the truth is, compatible with the Bible. But what must they do to continue the worldview of evolution? They must what? They got to suppress the truth. Why would people suppress the truth? Well, I'm sure there's multiple reasons, but let me give you one. If they, come, if they finally admit that there's a God, then what must they realize one day? If they're going to stand before that God, Right? There's going to be a judgment. But if I can evolutionary away God, I don't have to worry about that. And so they stick with the worldview no matter what because they need time. They need evolution. They need all things to keep on believing what they believe, even though the evidence says completely opposite and scientific evidence keeps proving compatible with what the Bible says. You don't live a, a theory. You live an evidence-based faith. Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christian or you're watching me online and you're not a Christian and you got the information now that there is a God, there was a starting point of the universe and God created it. We've talked in weeks past, this God who's all-powerful that can create everything from nothing, this God, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, 
If somebody ever says, how could somebody come back from the dead? Because God who has the power to create all things can bring somebody back from the dead. Can he not? That's logical, deductive reasoning right there. It's just fact. And this Jesus Christ came to earth and he went to a cross carrying your sins and mine. Why? Because you and I are sinners. And sin separates us from God. Showing the love of God, the creator comes down, becomes a man to go to a cross because he loves every one of us and he wants to save us from an eternal fate. Wow. But you have a decision to make if you're not a Christian. Am I going to believe it now that I hear some of these facts? Am I going to believe it or am I going to just suppress that truth and say, eh, no, I'm going to believe this way, that way if I don't think about it, there's no judgment for me. Then you're taking a big risk. The creator of the universe through the spirit of God is now pulling on your heart. That's the tug. Will I suppress the truth or will I admit to the truth and thus follow Christ who is God in the flesh? What am I going to do? Well, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now if you're not a Christian or if you backslid to come back to Christ and those of you at home too. What are you going to do? I want you to close your eyes, bow your head. If you've never put your faith in Christ, and you know it's time to, and you're realizing there is a creator, and the God-man, Jesus, came to earth to save me from my sins. The scientific evidence points more and more towards the Bible being true. And today it's time for me to place my faith in Jesus as my Savior and follow Him. Ask Him to wash away my sins because that's what he came to do. To come into relationship with him because that's what he wants me. He wants me to be in relationship with him. Then today's your day. If you'd like to put your faith in Jesus the very first time in your life or rededicate your life here or at home, I want you to open up your eyes and look at me. And I'm going to look around in a second and when our eyes meet, you can close them. But do it right now. Don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. I'll look at home first. I'll just say, God bless you to anybody at home. Now let me look around. God bless you. God bless. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless. God bless. Now I want everyone to repeat this prayer out loud after me and those who looked up at me and those at home, you repeat it too. There's a prayer of faith. You're just going to put your faith in Jesus as God in the flesh come to save you from your sins. You're going to enter into a relationship with Him. He's going to forgive you of all your sins the way He forgave me of mine 42 years ago. So let's repeat out loud and those who looked up at me, you put your faith in Jesus as you say it. Here we go. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much that you would die in my place on the cross. 
that you would shed your blood to forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my sins. I place my faith in you, which means I trust you with my whole life. Today I choose to follow you, to be led by the Bible and the Spirit of God. Thank you for saving me. Now let me pray. God, I pray for any, everybody who said that prayer. I pray for you, friend. Settle it now today. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. Start reading your Bible. If you don't have one, go to the Welcome Center in the lobby. We give them for free. Read the New Testament. Keep reading every day. Find out about Jesus, the one who came to save you. Stay in that New Testament for a couple years. Get into Bible study. Get into worship regularly in church. Eventually start serving. Share your faith. Get around Christians. You're going to need the strength of other Christians. Christianity is not a solo act. It's a body of believers. God, I thank you, Lord, that all of heaven rejoices, and it does, over anyone, over anyone who repents, surrenders their life, and comes to Jesus Christ as their Lord. Thank you, God, for this day. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all said, amen, amen and amen. Stand up with me, everybody. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.